Our scripture this morning is from the book of Psalms, which is the prayer book and the song book of the Bible. It's mostly humans speaking to God and sharing all of our emotions and feelings. And so here is this psalm. Uh, There's the longest psalm in the Bible, 119. Here's a section of it. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. The word of the Lord. We are continuing our series on encounter, and if you weren't here last week, I talked a little bit about the story of Hosea. If I'm not going to recap it a lot, but go back, listen to last week's sermon on YouTube or something like that. I'm working on getting the podcast updated. I've been really busy catching up on other stuff, so I've not gotten the last couple months up, but those will be up sometime soon, probably this week. Uh, But you can always go to the YouTube channel, just search First Presbyterian Church of Dearborn on YouTube, and our channel will pop up. And if you could just go to the uh, videos section, the last video will be the last Sunday service. Uh, They're all labeled by date. Go listen to that, because we're framing this entire idea of encounter and the fact that we come to encounter God. Uh, daily in our practices so that we might find life in God and we might find life from God as we encounter him in an intimate and special way. Now, we tend to talk about our daily time with God as what? What word do we use? Devotions. I just heard that. Now, what did I say about that word last week? Is it a bad word? No. Because you would want devotion from a friend, you would want devotion from a spouse. Devotion is an important thing. But if your husband or your wife only had devotion to you and they didn't have intimacy or encounter or any of those kind of things that are more, that are more close, what would you feel about that? Well, yeah, they're really devoted to me, but that wouldn't necessarily mean that we're close, that we are intimate, that we really love each other, that we really enjoy spending time together. It's more of a practical arrangement when you talk about devotions. And I think when we talk about our daily devotions, we often are focusing on who in that. Who's the center or who's the subject in the idea or the object, well, subject, in the idea of daily devotions? Me, right? And my personal devotion to God. Whereas when we talk about encounter, who's the subject of that? God. It's God who we encounter, right? It's God who we are looking for. It's God, a connection with God that we're seeking. And so I've learned that using this language is a much better way of talking about my daily interaction with God, my daily relationship with God, my daily seeking after God, is to talk about encounter. And I think God desires encounter from us. I think God created us so that he could pour out a portion of himself, pour out himself upon us in an encounter so that we might enjoy who he is for all eternity. 
In fact, we say that in one of our confessions, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Thank you, old-time Presbyterians who know that. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy time with God or do you just simply spend time in devotion because it's something you're supposed to do, a discipline? And so I'm talking about in this four-week series some practices that you can do that not only are good devotion, but that I have found helpful to encounter God so that I might not just be devoted to him, but that I might actually enjoy a relationship with God every day. Last week, we talked about prayer and the importance of prayer in that. We looked at at the end of that series or that that sermon last week, that there was kind of four things that are really important for prayer. Does anybody remember what those four things are? Time, vulnerability, what? Listening and trust. Good job. A plus for this row over here. Good job. I think that those things are kind of necessary in all of these practices. So even as we talk today about meditation, I still think that those four ideas that I kind of talked about at the end really quickly last week fit today as well. That you got to take time to meditate on God's work. You have to be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up to truly allow the meditation to make any difference. You have to trust God's word and you have to, what was the other one? Listen, right? In fact, actually meditation is an entire practice kind of of listening to God. When we think of meditation though, we kind of have a little bit of off-putting um, kind of feeling to meditation, right? Many of us, because in the middle of the 20th century, the Western culture was introduced to Eastern meditation, mainly from Buddhism and from Hinduism, right? Transcendental meditation, mindfulness, and other things that came out of kind of Buddhist and Hindu and even some Confucian or Taoist circles. And they entered into the Western world and Christians flipped out, right? Many Christians were like, oh, you can't do these things because these are things against the God. They're going to open you up to satanic forces. I think that's a little hooey. I think that there's some scientific studies that have shown that meditation of any sort is actually healthy and good for you as, as long as there's uh, kind of a focus and as long as there's an intentional slowing down and a rest and, in, uh, and there's an uh, increase in sharpening of your attention towards something, uh, which is basically what all of meditation is doing, that it's pretty good for you. Uh, now, there's not like great scientific studies out there that it really does things for your heart rate or for your physiological state. Uh, There's a lot of kind of bad studies out there that will say that kind of stuff, but there's not a lot of really good hard science that proves that it improves your physiological state. But there is a lot of really good science that it proves your mental state, that it helps you reduce stress, that it helps you to reduce depression, that it helps you to increase your attention span. Those things are pretty well documented in scientific studies. And so meditation in general is good. But when we talk about meditation in the church, we're generally not talking about Eastern meditation. Because the goal of Eastern meditation is what? Does anybody know in just as kind of a quick word or two? Relaxation, enlightenment, okay? Essentially, it's to empty yourself. The Eastern way of thinking about meditation is to empty yourself of any thoughts, empty yourself of any distractions, 
and to become kind of an empty space that you might be enlightened with greater truths or anything else in, in, in any kind of experience that you might have in that meditation. So Eastern meditation tends to focus on the emptying. But Christian meditation, which follows on the tradition of Judeo meditation, on Jewish meditation, is more focused on what? Okay, let me show you our passage from today. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Does that sound like an emptying? No, it sounds like a filling, right? And specifically, what are we filling ourselves with? The Word of God. The Word of God. And so in Jewish practice and Jewish thinking, which meditation is a word that is used much more in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. It's only really used once in the entire New Testament, although you see Paul talking about things that, we'll see that in a second, that look a lot like meditation. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms alone, where it's used probably the most, it's used 23 different times. And every single time it is used as a way of talking about spending intentional focus and intention and filling yourself with God's word so that God's word may be written on your heart. In fact, there's a famous saying from an old rabbi from around Jesus' time, a little bit after him probably, but that, that, that the purpose of meditation was that you would put the Word of God on top of your heart. Does that sound weird? On top of your heart? And they would say, why? Why, why rabbi? Why would you put the Word of God on top of your heart? And he said, because then when your heart breaks, the Word is ready to fall in. And so it's the idea of implanting the Word of God into your heart to change your character and that you're most susceptible to that kind of transformation and change when you are kind of broken down, when your heart breaks, when God softens your heart. And so in the times when you're not in that vulnerable state, you practice meditation, you lay the Word of God on top so that in those times the Word of God might fall in and might provide you life and fruit as you're going through those difficult times. And so the Jewish way of thinking was an idea of filling yourself up with the Word of God, and so intensely focusing on the Word of God. Now, I think that if you intensely focus on the Word of God, you're going to have a lot of the same scientific benefits to meditation that you would if you did Eastern meditation. Because I think the benefit is just calming down, slowing down, being intentional, letting your mind rest by focusing on one thing. Seeking God's counsel and advice in that way and that intense focus helps us to become healthier emotionally, spiritually, mentally. So I think meditation is a very, very good thing, even if it's Christian meditation and it's not the idea of emptying, but filling up. So Christian meditation has gone many different ways. And I think that it really comes from Paul's words here in Philippians. He says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Or a better word, a better term that would have been translated think in other translation is dwell on these things. How many of you have ever dwelled on something before? It's a little different than thinking, right? And oftentimes dwelling on something, is that usually a healthy thing? 
Most of the time, it's something that's bothering us, right? It's something that's really stuck in our heart or stuck in our life, and we're like focusing on it too much, and we're actually bringing negativity to our life by doing it. And so Paul is encouraging you, be intentional. Don't just let yourself be dwelling on things that are bad that happen to you, but intentionally think about the good things that God has given to us. Think, us about, think about his truth, whatever's commendable, whatever is good. If there's anything excellent, it's worth you dwelling on. So that you fill yourself up with truth, with good things in God. And so that's kind of the Christian idea. Now for me, I like to meditate with candles. I like to light candles and sit because the candle to me in my practice is kind of a reminder of the presence of God with me and the Holy Spirit with me. As I light that candle, I kind of recognize I'm in this space. God is with me in this space. And this is like a physical representation of God's light, God's choosing to guide me. There's all kinds of symbolism around this. Mike, I know you like candles, right? You use it in your meditation as well? Yes. Um, So I encourage you, if you don't have any candles, you can go buy some cheap candles in glass. They're the tall ones on um, Amazon for like $11 for six. So they're super cheap. Go buy those. You'll get them. They last. I've actually done silence and solitude retreats where I've had the candle lit the entire time. And I've been doing it for like 72 hours and it's only halfway down. So those candles last a long time. Uh, But it is a very good practice to help you visually begin to recognize God's presence with you as you go into that meditation. I'm going to give you two meditative practices that have deep roots in Christianity. One of them is from the Eastern Church. One of them is from the Western Church. Do any of you really know kind of the reason why the East and the West split? Why we have Eastern Orthodoxy and then Roman Catholicism, which is where our tradition comes out of and all Protestant uh, traditions come out of Western Roman Catholic thinking? Do anybody know that? The East and the West began to split before they actually split in culture. The Western side of the church in their worship and in their scriptures used the, the language of Rome, which was Latin. The Eastern church used the language of Greece, which was, come on, that was easy. There should be more people saying Greece from that. Okay, so there was already a language barrier between the two sides of the church. Then there was a cultural barrier. The Western side is very much as we think of Western culture today, very regimented, very logical, very step by step, right? Very lawyerly often, okay? And so the Western side of the church, the things that we would typically argue about and that we've argued about for a long time are kind of like, what was the order of God's commands in creation, Did he say this first, or did he say this first, or or this first, or was this second? We tend to think about this very logically. The East is different. The East is much more mystical and, and rooted in mysticism. And so kind of like we see in the other Far East religions, they were more focused on things that were kind of mysterious. So the East, the famous argument in the East is, how many angels could dance on the head of a pin? 
right? Because if an angel is spiritual, it's not material, then could you get like a bazillion angels on there? I mean, how, how could it potentially work out? And so there's this kind of mystical thinking in that side. So we're going to start with the mystical. We're going to start with the East. These are two practices that I do very regularly that we've done in session as we've been doing our discernment practices. So all you session members, you could just go to sleep because you guys are well-versed in these. Bob, go ahead. Just go back to sleep. Um, so, but for the rest of you, if you came to any of our discernment things, you got a little bit of an experience with them, but I wanted to have our whole congregation to be able to experience them. The first uh, here in the eastern side is the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer. In the Greek, there was this kind of saying that was said very often, Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie is kind of like, they, they say it's the vocative form of the word Lord. So it's like saying, oh Lord. It's like an exclamation of, of saying Lord. And then eleison is, have mercy on me. So it's like yelling out, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Can we think of a place in scripture that this came from? The Psalms, yeah. Where else? Was there a moment where Jesus was walking and somebody said, Son of David, have mercy on me, right? Kind of a similar type of cry. And so the Eastern church took this up almost as a mantra. And they began to add things to it, but this was the basis of it. In fact, we have sung the Kyrie in here quite a bit. Haven't we, Jane? Where are you at, Jane? Have we not sung the Kyrie quite a bit? So we, when you hear that even in our music, the Kyrie eleison, it comes from an Eastern tradition, an Eastern practice of this idea of crying out to the Lord, oh Lord, have mercy on me. So the prayer is very simple. The prayer is this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's say it together. Ready? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now you might be thinking, Chris, what does this have to do with meditation? Well, I'm going to get to that. Just hold your horses, all right? How you use this prayer and how the East uses this prayer in meditation is as a centering prayer, okay? Now, you can choose any kind of prayer and use it and centering, but the idea is that in this prayer, being repeated over and over intentionally, not as just a mindless phrase that you're saying as some kind of magical incantation, but as a phrase that each time you say it, you gain a greater understanding of what it's actually asking for, and you are drawing deeper into that request each time you say it. And so it's a centering into who? Who are you calling out to? Jesus, right? And so it's a centering into an understanding in a relationship with Jesus. And as you say this over and over. So the way that I often do it is I will practice it by saying it in my mind. I don't say it out loud because it's kind of hard to breathe the way I'm going to teach you to breathe and say it out loud at the same time. But I will breathe in like you do in a lot of meditation on the phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. So I will breathe in during that, fra that phrase, and then I will breathe out on the second phrase, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here, let's do it. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't say it, just breathe, because it's hard to say it and breathe at the same time, right? You'll say this in your head when you do it. Let me be your, your voice in your head for now. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. 
Breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so I do this as a way to clear myself of distractions, the things, because as Becky was talking about, oftentimes you just got so many things on your mind, it's hard to still down and to quiet down and to focus on God. And you have all these other things in your mind, chores you have to do or tasks, and it's hard to boil down to that essence of an encounter with God. And so this practice for me is one that helps me get that centering focus on Christ. Another way I will practice this, and I've done this a few times with a session, and I've done this, I did this with the group uh, when we were doing discernment as a church, is I will say it with a different emphasis on a different word every time. So the first time I say it, I will say, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The emphasis being on Lord makes me meditate and think about what? The, Lord, the Lordship of Jesus. What does it mean in the Lordship of Jesus? And so in that moment, I'm remembering what that phrase means. And then the next one, I'll say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about who he was as a human being, that he had a name, that he was born, right? And these thoughts are flooding my mind. I'm focusing, I'm centering on the person of Jesus. And you can just go down the line. Each word or kind of chunk of phrase, you can say it in a different emphasis, and it begins to meditate, make you meditate more on who Jesus is. Has everybody got that? Does everybody think they could remember that? If not, watch this YouTube video over again. I don't know that listening to the sermon will be helpful because you won't get the pictures up, up front. But if you uh, watch it, you'll get to see the, the passage there. and Maybe you can write it down. So the second practice I'm going to teach you guys is called Lectio Divina. And this is, a passage, this is a practice that is much more centered in the Western church. And you'll kind of see why. It's a more logical, it's step-oriented, it's a lot less mysterious, it's much more what we're kind of comfortable with in the West. But Lectio Divina basically just means divine reading. And so it's a way of reading God's Word where you are being very intentional to listen to the Spirit speaking to you through that word. And so there's four basic concepts in Lectio Divina. The first concept is Lectio. What do you think that means? Read. Read. Okay? If it means divine reading, Lectio Divina, then by process of elimination, Lectio was the read part of that statement. So the first part is to just read a passage. You can read it out loud or you can read it quietly. But for me personally, I think reading it out loud is much more helpful because there's something about forming the words on your lips. There's something about it returning back into your brain through your ears that makes it, for me, connect more or allows me to focus on it more. And so I often will read it out loud. Actually, most of the time I'll read it out loud if I'm doing Lectio. This next part is meditatio. What do you guys think that means? Great. Really good. You see, our language has a lot of roots in Latin. You should get all of these, all right? Uh, the third one, oratio. What do you think that means? No, we kind of speak, but in, in this particular instance, prayer. Prayer. So it's speaking to God, right? And then the last one is contemplatio. What is that? 
contemplation, right? Where you're contemplating it. You're kind of focusing and dwelling on whatever it is that you're coming out of it. Now, the way that I learned Lectio back when I was in college uh, is the way that I've been teaching our session to do it and that we did it in our discernment meetings as a congregation. And I'm going to just run you through the steps of it. The first step is to pick a passage and read it out loud. Now, listen. Pick a passage means pick a sensical passage. Don't pick a passage that's like four pages long. Do you think you're going to get a lot out of that? Probably not. But should you pick a passage that's two sentences long? No, because you're not getting a lot of the context. So look and try and find a sensical chunk or what they call in the theological business a pericope. All right? It's a fancy Greek word. means the cut on both sides. Get a chunk of a passage that makes sense, that's a clear, logical kind of thought, okay, that has kind of all the context you need. Pick a passage, then read it out loud. As I said, for me, out loud works the best. And on this first reading, what your job is going to be is to listen for a word or a phrase that sticks out. Okay, so if I were to have read the passage again from Psalm 119, let's say that the, the word that sticks out to you is law. Okay, as it's being read, the word that just pops off the page to you is law. And for some reason, that word, hold on to that. Hold on to that word. And as you're reading, be mindful of that word. Okay, and then you're going to spend some time in silent meditation and prayer. And specifically, you're going to think about that word. You're going to think about what that word means. You're going to think about why that word might have popped up to you, although not very much in this early step. And you're going to say that word over and over to yourself to kind of get yourself implanted in that word. And then you're going to pray to God. And you're going to kind of give that word back up to him that he's given to you. Then you're going to read a second time. Out loud, hopefully. Again, I think that it would be good for you to read it out loud. Have I hammered that point enough? Should I stop saying out loud? Okay, good. On this reading, your job is to listen for how your word or phrase that popped out to you in the first one, so let's say it was law, how it fits into the passage, right? What other words speak to your word? What synonyms are there to your word? What antonyms are there to your word? Do you guys know what those words mean? Synonyms are words that are the same thing, just a different word. Antonyms are the opposite words, right? So these are kind of cues as to how that word fits into the context of the whole passage. And it'll help you meditate more on that passage. So you're looking for those other words, those other things. And then guess what you're going to do after that? Meditate and pray. (laughs) It's pretty simple. And in your meditation, this time you're thinking about that word and phrase that stuck out to you. What's the context for it? How the other words speak into it? Or how does that word speak into the other words of your your passage? And how are all those things coming together to provide you meaning or insight into what God's word is trying to teach you and tell you in that moment? Then the third time you're going to read your passage again. Ah, thank you. Good. I said I I wouldn't say it again. So good job. On this reading, you're going to be specifically asking the Spirit what he's teaching you. So before you enter into this reading out loud, you should probably be praying, Holy Spirit, show me what you are trying to teach me through this reading of this passage. Why this word stuck out to me. 
all right? Maybe you're feeling like your whole life is chaotic right now. So maybe the word law stuck out to you because it was a centering word. It's a word that makes everything feel like it's in control again or makes sense again or something like that, right? So there might be context in your own life that the Spirit will bring up to you that helps you understand why that word is meaningful to you right now. So you're asking the Spirit, teach me. Teach me what you're trying to show me in this passage, in this word or phrase as you read it out loud again. Oh, I did say out loud one more time. Sorry, you guys. And then after that, you're going to contemplate. A little different than meditation, because this time you're not going to just sit there and dwell and think on the things. You're going to actually be trying to act on what you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be contemplating what it is that the Holy Spirit is calling you into action for, right? And so what might he be trying to tell you through that word or phrase and the, the thoughts that you've had as you've meditated the previous two times, what is it that he's calling you towards? So this is kind of the process of Lectio Divina. Do you guys understand that? No? Way too long for a Sunday morning? I was up to like midnight last night. What's your excuse? <laughs> so... Lectio Divina is a, is a good practice, in my opinion, of meditation. I don't think you can ever go wrong with it. Session members, have we ever had a bad experience with Lectio Divina? No. No. We, Lectio Divina has led us to some incredible insights in our meetings as we've been trying to discern what God is calling us to, and it has always been meaningful. When we did the discernment for four weeks, well, three weeks where we were doing Lectio Divina, I had person after person after person coming to me just telling me how meaningful doing Lectio Divina on their own was, and that they had never experienced anything like it before. It's, there is something to it that is really special, and, and my, whenever I've done it, it has always yielded some kind of results, some kind of learning, some kind of deeper encounter with God in that practice. So I encourage you towards that. But ultimately, ultimately what these practices of meditation, whether it's the Jesus prayer as you're centering yourself into focusing on your encounter with God, or it's Lectio Divina where you're really intently trying to listen to what God's teaching you in his word, both of them are, the goal of them is to receive something, right? To open you up that you might receive something from the Lord, that you might be filled up in the Lord. And so this practice of meditation, I think, is a cornerstone practice for you to begin to have encounters with God daily and not just devotions daily, because they will begin to make you open to learning and to sensing and knowing God's presence, not just in your time that you set aside for your devotions, but as a moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, realization that God is with you all the time, which is the goal. Let's go back to the, to the passage from this morning. Later in that psalm, the last two verses, 103 and 104, I think, say this, I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Do you see the result of what David is saying meditation is on his life? Do you see how this fits into encountering Christ daily and developing an enjoyment and desire in your relationship with him? David says that when he meditates on the law of God, that his words become sweet. 
sweeter than honey on your lips. Can you think of anything sweeter than honey? High fructose corn syrup, maybe. But he didn't have that. Honey was the sweetest thing he could think of. And he says that the word of God becomes sweeter to him, more desirable to him than a physical sensation of actually eating something sweet because of his meditation on the law. And yet we have so much more than David had to meditate on. We have the entire gospels and the work of Jesus who was and is God in the flesh, living a life on our behalf, saying yes to God while we've said no, and then sacrificing himself for us. What sweeter thing can you think of to dwell on than that? And so meditation becomes a part of our daily practice to encounter God, to be in the sweetness of God, to sense his presence in our lives, and to desire after him with our whole being. Let's come now and stand together in our affirmation of faith, the Apostles' Creed. That was a perfect selection of a song. Did you pick that song? Oh, Brenda, she's, she's magical in her selections. <clears throat> if you paid attention in that, it has almost a theme from every single series we've done this whole summer, right? This is my story. This is my song. Those are things we talked about in our worship series, talked about it being an heir. We talked about that in our, in our series on being the people of God. And then it very much connected in today, tasting the sweetness, the foretaste, right, of heaven. Uh, in our devotion to God, in our encounter with God all the day long, right? So that's a perfect song. Maybe I should tell Brenda that should be like our summer capstone at the end of the summer here. But go, go and meditate on the law of God until the word of God becomes so sweet to you that you, like David, can say that it's sweeter than high fructose corn syrup and that you love, love meditating on God more than you love eating whatever sweet that you love to enjoy. Go and be the people of God, listening to God's words in meditation.